Last week, Sabrina and I uh, made an offer on a rental property. Uh, we have been watching since last spring for just the right piece of property. And uh, so we saw something we really liked. In fact, this is the first time Sabrina said, I want that. I'm like, okay, well, let's make an offer. Uh, and it, was, it came on the market last week. We made an offer last week. Didn't feel like I had much time to uh, sit on it. We went and saw it in person, made an offer that same day. And as I waited over the weekend to find out whether or not our offer had been accepted, I, I felt some anxiety, some concern, because I wasn't confident that I had properly sought the counsel of the Lord. Now, I have been, and we have been periodically praying, you know, since last spring, God, you know, guide this process, bring us to, a, you know, help us make a wise decision, uh, find a good rental property. Uh, but this particular one seemed to be rushed, and, and I had an uneasy feeling in my heart that I hadn't properly, so, so what do you do? Retroactive prayers. How many have ever done retroactive prayers? God, I didn't pray enough on the front end, so I'm praying now. Well, turns out there were multiple other offers made over the weekend. We did not get that piece of property, and I'm going to take that as the Lord protecting us uh, and accepting my retroactive prayers. But there's a, a clear principle in Scripture. In fact, I think this is the big idea of our text today, and here it is. Failure to consult God when making decisions can lead to avoidable mistakes. Avoidable mistakes, mistakes you wouldn't otherwise have to make if you would have stopped and consulted the Lord when making the decision. And I was a little concerned that I was in danger of making an avoidable mistake because I had not, uh, I had failed to consult God. Now, this is a principle that Christians, I think, take seriously uh, and try to honor in the big areas of life, right? Who am I going to marry? Should I buy the house? Should I take the job? But I think that this, uh, God offers us His wisdom. He invites us to consult Him in all aspects of life, and frankly, we will be blessed the more that we consult God in all of our lives, uh, why would we want to miss out on the wisdom of the Lord because we didn't ask? Well, in our text today, the people of God fail to consult Him, and it leads them to an avoidable mistake. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. We're studying Joshua this week, we were supposed to be looking at Joshua's chapters 7 and 8, the story of Achan and uh, Ai, but Pastor James, who had been preparing that message, uh, came down with COVID. So he and Ella are right now uh, COVID positive and under the, under the COVID spell. Now, James got the monoclonals, so he's, he's already bouncing around feeling pretty good. Ella's still feeling sick. But James had already uh, prepared quite a bit, so I said, you know what, let's just have you preach chapter 7 and 8 next week. I'll go ahead and do 
chapter 9, the story of the Gibeonites, and that's what we're looking at today. Joshua chapter 9, are you there? All right, if not, it's on the screen. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country, and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, pretty much that's the entirety of the promised land. So the kings in, in the promised land, well, what are they doing? The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So they joined forces in order to repel the invaders. Now, what is it that they heard about? Because this is a significant change from just a few chapters earlier in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, if you remember, we learn this. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Uh, so when God you know, dammed up the waters of the Jordan and the Israelites crossed over on dry ground, the Canaanites heard about that and they, they lost any will to fight. And so then when the Israelites get to Jericho, Jericho, they've just shut them up, shut themselves up inside the city. They have no uh, will to fight because they're just, uh, they're fearful. So what's changed? Because now all of a sudden they're all gung-ho and they're, you know, they're uh, collaborating in order to fight Israel. What, what has changed well, what has changed is the fact that they heard that Israel had been defeated in battle by Ai, which Pastor James will talk about next week. Achan sinned by taking some of the stuff from Jericho that God had said was off limits and belonged to him, so Achan had stolen from the Lord. His, his sin, which was hidden, God knew about it, and as a result, when Israel went out to fight against Ai, this relatively small city, they get defeated. And it wasn't until uh, they dealt with the sin in their camp, which ended up with uh, Achan be and his family being stoned, that uh, kind of, then they were, then in their second attempt to take Ai, they were successful. Well, the word that Israel had been defeated in battle spread rapidly through the land, and all of a sudden, uh, these Canaanites who had been paralyzed in their fear but, uh, and convinced that Israel was uh, unbeatable because of the power of God, well, now all of a sudden, look, they can, get, they can be defeated in battle, and you just got to be strong enough. So let's, let's all pull our resources together, and we can, we can win. And you got to wonder, if, is, if Achan hadn't sinned, if the people of God hadn't sinned, uh, how much easier would it have been and how much quicker would it have, would have been the taking of the promised land? 
uh, it, it might very well have just been a string of successes like Jericho where God knocks the walls down and, or a little later story brings hailstones hail down on the army, kills more by hailstones than he does by, by the sword. Uh, but, the, but the sin of the people, sin has consequences. That's, that's the big takeaway I see there. Sin always, always, always has consequences. Praise God, our sin doesn't permanently cut us off from the goodness of our God. He still works in our lives. His purposes are still fulfilled for us. But make no mistake, our sin costs us. Our sin has consequences, and we are always better off to keep sin out of our lives. Verse 3, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Gibeon was actually not that far away. It was about five miles outside of Jerusalem, right smack in the middle of the promised land. The Gibeonites were Hivites. They were part of the people that God had specifically named as being, uh, as to be destroyed and, and, and uh, taken out of the land. But these Gibeonites, they wanted uh, a treaty. Now, they did not agree with their countrymen. Because if you notice, it, the Hivites are, are one, of the, uh, one of the nations that have gathered together to fight against Joshua. The, the Gibeonites are Hivites, and, but they, they, have, they say, we don't want to fight. We don't think fighting is, uh, is the way to win. And we're going to find out later that the Gibeonites believed that God was going to fulfill His promise to Israel. They knew that God had uh, promised the land of Canaan to his people and that God was, through them, was going to destroy the inhabitants. And so they did not believe fighting was going to do any good because God was going to make good on his promise. And so they didn't go along with the rest of the Hivites. They came up with their own plan. And their plan is, let's trick Israel into making a peace treaty with us. And so they, they make it look like they are from a distant country. Make a covenant with us. Verse 7. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? So the, the Israelites, the men of Israel, the leadership, uh, they wanted to obey God. They didn't want to disobey Him. Uh, and in fact, they asked a very important question. 
you know, uh, we, need to make, we need to make sure that you're, you know, from far enough away that we truly can enter into a covenant with you because God, through Moses, had forbidden His people from making any treaties with people living in the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 18, we read this. When you draw near to a city, this is, these are kind of the rules of warfare. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, Israel, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peacefully and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you, but you don't kill them. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword, but the women and the little ones, the livestock, everything else in the city, all its spoil you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you. So what, he, what, what, what he's just said does not apply to anyone living in the promised land. There's a, there's a different way you handle those people, such as the Hivites, of whom the Gibeonites are a part. But in verse 16, but in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Parasites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. Okay, so these Gibeonites, God has specifically said through Moses, you may not make a peace treaty with them. You must destroy them. And so, uh, you know, these men of Israel, the leadership of Israel, if they knew who these guys were, they would not have entered into uh, any kind of covenant with them. They said to Joshua, verse 8, Here's their response to the question of, maybe you live with us. They said to Joshua, we are your servants. So they've, they've gone from saying, we're from a far away and we want to make a covenant to, uh, we're your servants. We will, we will be the vassals. You can be our master. So they're sweetening the pot, right? Uh, you, could, you can get a, a, vassal, a vassal state underneath you. Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So Joshua is trying to establish, who are these people? And, uh, and they answer him very craftily. They don't really answer his question. They said to him, verse 9, from a very distant country, your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. 
So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. So they don't really answer the question, who are we and where are we from? They say we're from far away and the reason we're here is because of the reputation of your God. Um, and, and we have heard about how powerful your God is and how he works on your behalf and we're drawn to that. We want to be uh, we recognize, we, we want to be with you, and, uh, and, and we were willing to even serve you. Uh, notice, by the way, that they don't refer to anything more current. Uh, they're not, they're only from just a few miles away. They knew, and, and, and the reason they were coming is because of what God, what, they, what the Israelites had done to Jericho and to Ai, but they don't reference that. They don't reference the crossing of the Jordan. Why? Very crafty. Because they're from far away. And news, news you know, so they reference what had happened in Egypt 40 years earlier. They reference what had happened to uh, the two kings of the Amorites, which would have been, you know, at least a year earlier. Fascinating, huh? They're, they're super... Uh, super crafty. Verse 12. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But behold, now it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. Here they're just flat out lying, right? <laughs> they're, they're lying, but they, they have, they, they're showing evidence of the long journey and therefore um, leading these Israelite leaders to believe uh, that they are from a very distant country, far outside the promised land, and thus you know, legitimate candidates for a peace treaty. Verse 14, so the men, these are the leaders of Israel, took some of their provisions or sampled some of their provisions, right? They're, they're looking at the wineskins, they're tasting the food, and it's looking, you know, it's moldy, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. There it is. There's the big mistake. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. These leaders wanted to do what was right, right? They didn't want to disobey a God. They wanted to obey God. They asked pretty good questions. They were appropriately skeptical. They examined, right, the evidence, but they failed to consult God. They failed to go ask God, hey, God, should we make a treaty with these people? And why do you think they failed to consult God? I think... I'm pretty confident it's because they thought to themselves, we've got this. I mean, this is a pretty much a no-brainer, right? We don't, 
Whether they said it, they probably didn't say it out loud, but somehow in their hearts they thought, we don't need God's help to make this decision. This decision's pretty straightforward. These guys are from far away. Uh, they've heard about how great our God is. They want to be our servants. Look at the evidence of their you know, food and clothes. Um, we, can we can make this decision on our own, with our own knowledge and wisdom. We don't really need God's help. Whether that was a conscious, choice, uh, conscious thought or not, that was uh, clearly there. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I absolutely have, so many times. In fact, whenever I catch myself thinking, I, I don't, I've got this one. This is a decision I don't need to go get other counsel for. I don't need to talk to my dad about. I don't need to talk to my friends about. I don't really need to. Whenever I start thinking that, uh, I've learned to be, get, get nervous because I've made this mistake so many times. And so I put it this way. Beware of thinking that you don't need God's help to make a wise decision. You're in danger as soon as you start thinking, I've got this. I can make a wise decision on my own. Now, this is very interesting. Back in Numbers chapter 27, um, God offered his counsel to Joshua. Numbers chapter 20, verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, so commissioning Joshua as a leader of the people, make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority. Uh, once Moses died, God then commissioned Joshua as taking Moses' place. But even before that, he was a, a commissioned leader uh, amongst the people. And he shall okay, uh, and he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, verse twenty-one, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. Notice verse twenty-one though that um, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. So that's a way of saying he can, he can consult God through Eleazar the priest and the Urim was a particular, uh, basically like casting lots, a way, that, a way that they would hear from the Lord. So God has offered his counsel to Joshua, but he doesn't tell Joshua when he has to come seek counsel, right? He leaves it up to Joshua to decide, when do I need to go get consultation from the Lord? And here's a situation which Joshua should have, and he failed to, because I'm sure that Joshua, as well as all the other leaders, thought, we've got this one. In fact, uh, sometimes when, when a bunch of people are all in agreement, you assume because we all agree, therefore we've got to be right. But they failed to consult the Lord. And the implication of that scripture 
is that had they consulted the Lord, God would have revealed to them the deception and would have revealed to them that they should not be entering into a treaty with the Gibeonites. So, they blew it. And you and I don't want to, do, we want to, let's learn. This is a very important story for us to learn from. And the, and the lesson is, uh, you know, don't go make a decision without consulting the Lord because you might, you might stumble into avoidable mistakes. In James chapter 1, verse 5, we're told, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So, Christian, you want wisdom? You ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to you. What an, what an amazing offer. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we're told, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't trust uh, your own smarts. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. So there's the caution of just trusting in yourself. And we have a great example in uh, young Solomon when he when he finds out that he's going to be king of Israel, and he prays this, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. O God, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? And God was very pleased with that prayer. So, as Christians, we are, we are told, <laughs> uh, don't fail to take advantage of the wisdom of the Lord. Don't make decisions in life without consulting the Lord. Now, I've never heard the Lord audibly speak to me. Um, and, and so, well, how do I, how do I gain counsel? Well, it could be the Lord leads me, leads me to a particular biblical truth or somebody says something or a circumstance lines up such and, I, and God just somehow, I have a sense in my spirit, ooh, the Lord is, you know, He is giving me insight into uh, the situation I've been praying about. Or He might just shut doors and open doors for me, Right? when I pray. But do know that when, when we ask that God, when we consult the Lord, um, He hears that and He honors that. And to fail to consult Him uh, is, is foolish at a minimum. Verse 16, at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. Three days after making this peace treaty, Israel finds out who the Gibeonites really are, and they find out they've been tricked, and they're not happy. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. It's like they just, what? Grab your swords, grab your shields, let's go, and they just march straight to, straight to Gibeon. Now, their cities were Gibeon, Chepharah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. 
So, actually, four cities. But the people of Israel did not attack them, although they wanted to, because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. The people are mad, and rightfully so. This was a colossal leadership failure, and it cost the people. In particular, it cost the Benjamites, because these four cities are within Benjamin's uh, allotment, its inheritance. Four cities that, and all the, you know, the, the land around those cities, which should have been, you know, part of the inheritance of the people of God, and now they can't conquer it, they can't take it, uh, because the leaders failed to consult the Lord. And uh, this, I think, you know, as uh, pastors and elders, um, we think about this. I, I certainly think about this uh, in decisions that we make. And we don't want to be making decisions that affect the church without consulting the Lord. If we do, uh, it can bring harm on the church, and you would rightfully be uh, murmuring. I think this is probably appropriate murmuring here. They're, they're a little irritated. You've, your failure to consult the Lord, leaders, is costing us. Real, real cost here. Verse 19, but all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. Verse 19, so I think... Read between the lines. I think that there are a whole lot of Israelites saying, let's go, let's get them. They're, they're part in the promised land. You were not supposed to make a treaty with them. And uh, so this treaty is invalid. God told us not to make this treaty. And they deceived us. It was, you know, they were lying. This is not a valid treaty. We want those cities. Let's, let us at them. And, they, and the, the leaders say, no, no, we have... In, sworn by the Lord, and so we we can't compound our error. See, in this, I'm very impressed with the the leaders of Israel. They failed, right? They failed to consult the Lord. Now they, but they could have compounded their failure with sin, uh, and the sin would have been to uh, not be men of their word. See, the people of God need to be people of their word. God has spoken on this very clearly in Numbers chapter 30, and the people knew this. In Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And so the leaders of Israel, I mean, they're, they're, they're saying, you're right. We should have consulted the Lord. We failed as leaders, but we cannot compound our failure with sin. We have, yes, we were tricked into it, but the fact is, we said we we're going to do something, and we need to do it. In fact, they believe that if they don't do it, 
God's wrath might break out upon him. In fact, they put it this way. Verse 20, this we will do to them, let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. You know, if we break this oath, we might bring upon ourselves the wrath of God. In fact, many years later, uh, King Saul tried to wipe out the Gibeonites, and the wrath of the Lord broke out upon Israel because of it. God takes very seriously uh, the keeping of promises because the people of God are to be like their God, and God is God keeps His promises. When He says He's going to do it, He does it, period, 100% of the time. That's His character, and He wants His people to um, reflect that character. Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 not to make oaths. Don't make oaths. Jesus says... Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Uh, you know, you ought to have the kind of character when you say, yes, I'll do something, you'll do it. And no, be a person who means what they say. So Christian people need to do what they say they're going to do even when it costs us. Hear that, hear that, hear that. Doing what they said they were going to do cost Israel. And sometimes it costs us to do what we say we're going to do. Uh, this is one of the reasons uh, many Christians are opposed to bankruptcy, even when bankruptcy makes total financial sense. But they say, if I entered into an agreement with a, a bank, for example, or, uh, and I've said I'm going to pay so much per month for 30 years, unless I ca absolutely cannot do that, I'm... That's what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to do it, even when it doesn't make sense financially. We need to be people who keep our word even when it costs us. And the, uh, and the leaders, verse 21, the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. So they didn't, well, that's their vassal status. That's their servant status. Uh, but they, they get treated like one of these uh, cities from afar that uh, opens up its gate. Then they just become servants of Israel. Verse 22, Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Why did you lie? Verse 23, now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood, and drawers of water for the house of my God. So, uh, the Gibeonites, the, the people of those four cities, they had to carry the water for the people of Israel, and they had to cut the wood for the people of Israel. Pretty menial jobs, in, and that included supplying uh, wood and water for uh, the house of the Lord. And they were doing that even during the temple days, we find out uh, later in the scriptures. They answered Joshua. Here's why. Here's why we lied. Here's why we did whatever we could do to get an oath from you. Because it was told to your servants... 
for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. In other words, we were told that God had promised you our land and that God had told you to kill us. And we believe that God was going to make good on that promise and we were afraid and we were desperate to get saved somehow from this. And this was our strategy. Remember, we, they didn't go fight. They didn't try to fight Israel like, the, like their countrymen. They, they hoped that perchance they could get this peace treaty, which succeeded. Verse 25, and now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. Once again, right? The people of Israel were, they were wanting, they were wanting these cities and land. And they did not kill them. So Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So at the time of the writing, the Gibeonites uh, still live in the land. And in fact, we find out later, many, many hundreds of years later, Gibeonites come back with the people of God from exile and are part of rebuilding the walls of Jericho. They have, just like, remember Rahab was uh, included into the people of God so the Gibeonites are ultimately just included right into the people of God. And I'm sure that the majority of those Israelites or Gibeonites became worshipers of, of the Lord uh, and just part of the people, part of the people of God. Um, I think we are meant to admire the Gibeonites. I, I think we're, I think, you read between the lines, you know, here's a, here's a people who they want to get saved from the coming wrath of God and the judgment of God. They just don't know how to do it. They don't believe that you can fight God and win. They believe the word of the Lord. And, and, and they're like, God has said he's going to destroy us because of our sin. And, and we want to get saved from that. And here is our strategy for doing that. And it doesn't come right out and say it, but I think we are meant to understand this story as God's behind the scene honoring the faith of the Gibeonites. And he allows them to get saved. Because that's what happens. They get saved from the destruction. Because of their faith that is put into action even in, in such a crazy way. Now, uh, you know, the Bible is not saying that their lying was a good thing, uh, but but their their belief that God was going to do what He was going to say He was going to do, and their determination to try to get saved, I think that is meant to be an example that we're going to look at and say that's a good thing. And here's the wonderful truth: the wonderful truth for today is that today there is a clearly defined path to salvation from God's judgment against sin. Right, the Gibeonites, they knew it was coming and they didn't know how to escape it. And they came up with this crazy plan that I think God honored. But today we don't have to 
We don't have to wonder. We don't have to fret. We don't have to despair. Because, because although God has said, I will judge sin, I will judge your sin with death, he says, but here's a clear path for escape. And so I want to end with Romans chapter 10. Here we are in the New Testament, Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the coming judgment of God for your sin. For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous, and with the mouth one, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. This is how all people on the planet get saved. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, and that's Jesus, will be saved. Isn't that wonderful news? So I think we're meant to be, God wants humans to be like the Gibeonites, believing his word that judgment is coming for, upon sin and then acting with great zeal to get saved. And today, there's just, there's no question about how, how to get saved. God promises it if we repent of our sins and put our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, we will be saved. All right, let's pray. Lord, we learn from the leadership of Israel to always consult you, to never give in to that uh, prideful, misguided uh, belief that I really don't need help in order to make a good decision. But we would always be inviting, asking for your wisdom, always be uh, inviting your help as we go through life. And Lord, um, we, are, we are impressed with and we uh, want to follow the example of those leaders who, weren't, who they were unwilling to compound their mistake with greater sin, but they were going to be people of their word. We want to be people of, of our word. And Lord, we marvel at the Gibeonites who, who believed your word. They didn't doubt that you were going to fulfill what you said you were going to fulfill, and they were desperate to be saved, Lord. May we, uh, may we who, those who haven't been saved, Lord, may, may, we, may they just take uh, your clear path through faith in Jesus, just seize that with, with gusto. And Lord, may we, who, who possess eternal life, possess forgiveness, who have been saved, may we not be apathetic to those around us who are like the Gibeonites. Judgment is coming upon them, Lord. They're, they're desperate to know how to get right with you, and we possess the gospel. May we get it out generously and be with us in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.